I, don't, I can't think of any better honor than to be able to participate in the church service on Sunday morning. And I it just, I'll get fired up. So sometimes I'll start reading real fast. So I'll try to slow down and we'll get this. Okay. Um, please join me in the prayer for guidance. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with glad hearts what you say to us today. Amen. Okay, today I'm reading Acts 17, 1 through 9, and I'm reading from the New International Version. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer, rise from the dead, suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded to join Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some of the bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world and now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Doug. First, uh, I don't know how you learned how to say Thessalonica. I learned it Thessalonica as a child. And so it's so hard for me to say it uh, Thessalonica or Thessalonica as as some uh, uh, pronunciations have it. But uh, you can say it whatever way you want. And that's the world we live in. Just whatever you want to do or believe, you just believe or do that. Okay. I'm here to tell you it's the way I want it to be said, the way I learned it as a child, that Thessalonica is the right, but nobody else says that anymore, apparently. Well, uh, this is a very interesting chapter to end our series on Acts on. We have really just glazed over Acts for a couple of months, and there's so much more we could have done. So what I wanted to do today was to take this and see what is in this this very brief passage that really gives us a clue as to what the entire book of Acts is about. Now, when I, when I was a child, I was fascinated with uh, the uh, maps in the Bible. I loved to go to the back and to look at the maps. So when the preacher was preaching, I was looking at the maps and tracing and trying to figure things, things out. And so I have a map for you this morning. It's the first map of the Acts series on the final day. But uh, 
uh, Acts uh, goes over uh, a period of several decades through a, a wide swath of the uh, Mediterranean Sea and the accompanying lands. And uh, you can see here uh, today, uh, Paul in chapter 16 was over in Galatia, in that wide area over there, Asia Minor, Galatia. And he has a call to go uh, over to, uh, uh, into Macedonia. And Thessalonica is very close to Macedonia. It's in northeast Greece there on the line with Macedonia. And there's Philippi there. Uh, where he is in chapter 16. So I just wanted to give you some orientation. And you know about the controversy about Macedonia. Isn't it amazing? A couple thousand years later, uh, Macedonia, which was established by Alexander the Great's father, Philip. And uh, uh, there are people living, obviously, in that area today, but they're not part of Greece. And in these olden days, Macedonia was under the rule of Greece. And Greece still has a section up there that's called Macedonia. But there's also a nation of people there now called Macedonia. So there was controversy over that in the United Nations, whether or not this new nation of Macedonia could use the name Macedonia. I guess Alexander the Great and Philip, his dad, didn't take out a copyright or or anything on that. So um, uh, what happened is... Uh, Macedonia, the nation of Macedonia, is now called New Macedonia. And if you want to go to Macedonia, you go to Greece. So that's just a little bit of that these lines and these uh, uh, political realms have been changing over the centuries, and they continue to change. Uh, As we know, the Roman Empire eventually falls. We know that that little corner over here on the far lower uh, your, your lower right, uh, where you see uh, Judea and Jerusalem, obviously many, many changes and controversies still over these lines. But in our text today, uh, Paul has been called over from Galatia into Macedonia to Philippi and then down to Thessalonica. So uh, what I thought we would do, there is a great old hymn that's not in our 1988 United Methodist hymnals. That's a very controversial hymnal because the old Cokesbury hymnal, the little brown ones, had some songs that got left out. And people were trying to read into why is it that this song got left out and this stupid song got put in. You know, I mean, that's, to put it bluntly, that's kind of the way it's been for the last uh, few decades, people trying to figure out the reasoning behind uh, the hymnals that we have and some of the songs that were left out. There's a great song that I, I remember as a kid singing, and it's uh, uh, Send the Light. Uh, anybody remember Send the Light? Uh, there's a call comes ringing over the restless waves, send the light, send the light. We're going to sing that song in a moment. I, I, I gave uh, Linda pr- plenty of warning uh, about 10 minutes before the service. And uh, she, fa- she found, yeah, she found, and I think the choir has sung this or something. You, you have sung this too. So it should be familiar to everybody. But what's interesting about this song is that it reflects, I think, an attitude that has been lost in the church. And maybe leaving it out of the hymnal was a reflection of that dwaning attitude, uh, uh, that dwaning, waning attitude about the, uh, uh, about the need to go out and to send the light, to share the gospel, to bring the good news of Jesus to the whole world. So that song was left out, sadly. So we're going to... Uh, 
uh, in a moment sing it, not, not right this second, because I just want to go a little bit into uh, the 17th chapter here with you. Uh, there's an interesting phrase in here that says uh, the accusation against Paul, and uh, he's with Silas, and then there's uh, 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 others who are involved here uh, in, a, in a controversy in Thessalonica, and it has to do with uh, Jewish citizens of that area who are very upset by the message that Paul is, is sharing, and also upset that people are responding to the message. It says uh, here that uh, Paul is sharing from the scriptures. So he, he goes straight into the scriptures. This isn't Paul sharing a philosophy of his own. It's not coming out of his own wisdom. He goes to the scriptures. And uh, as was his custom, Paul went to the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. It says some of the Jews were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Gentiles and quite a few prominent women. So Paul's gathering these people and says, but some of the other Jews were jealous of them and this message. And so they go down to the marketplace and they, 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 they get a mob together. I guess that the marketplace was the place you went to get uh, disreputable people, people who love to fight. And so they go down there and they get a mob to come and uh, they rush over to Jason's house searching for Paul and Silas, thinking they're there, and to uh, bring them out to the crowd, no doubt to be beaten, uh, to be punished. Uh, But when they did not find Paul and Silas, they instead just dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down. Now, that's what it tells you in the King James Version and the Revised Standard Version and other versions. Your version may say, these men who have caused trouble all over the world. But I love the phrase, these men have turned the world upside down. Because when we get right down to it, that's what Acts is about. It's about a world being turned turned upside down, about cultures being challenged, about kings and rulers suddenly having their authority brought into question. It's about a new king and a new ruler and a new truth. Greece was the home of great philosophers, but suddenly philosophy stood on its head when the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached and truth came out in a way that people had never heard. So this idea that the world is turned upside down, and I thought, well, I can tie that into the American Revolution. It's July 4th. I have to do a July 4th reference here, right? Well, what was the song that was played according to tradition at Yorktown when the British surrendered? Anybody remember what the British played then as they as they, they walk through there's a formal surrender ceremony and they're walking and they're laying down their guns and everything and the 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 uh, uh the patriots the colonial troops are there uh giving them some sort of respect the song was called the world turned upside down because for the british soldiers that's exactly what had just happened the very idea that 9000 of king george's very best troops could be defeated by these ragtag uh, colonials was just impossible so they took and sang and played that song in honor of those troops that feeling well that's what people are feeling suddenly uh, the people especially the jews in the mediterranean world 
as they hear this news about Jesus, that suddenly this turns everything upside down. Their traditions, their laws, the way they live, just as it turned the world of Paul upside down on the road to Damascus, as you heard from Shauna last week. And so this is what the church is about. We're, we're about turning worlds upside down, both in that bigger aspect, but also in the personal aspect of somebody whose life is a living hell, but suddenly the world is turned upside down, so they're no longer down in hell, but they are in heaven with God and with Jesus Christ. That their life knows joy and peace that can't be known in any other way. By the way, I have, I have the words to the song here, and this is the way a world that's upside down would look according to this song. If buttercups buzzed after the bee, if boats were on land and churches on sea, if ponies rode men and if grass ate the cows and cats should be chased into holes by the mouse, if the mamas sold their babies to the gypsies for half a crown, if summer were spring and the other way round, then all the world would be upside down. Folks, if enemies were made friends, if the lost were suddenly found, if God was revered and honored instead of being cursed and his name dragged through the mud, then this world would be turned upside down. And that is the mission of the church, just as it was for Paul and Silas and Jason and the other Christians. The mission of the church is to turn this old world upside down. When I went through the, back through the book of Acts, I... I typed out a number of scriptures here because I was amazed, and I think this can get lost in our study, at how many times the disciples, the apostles, were persecuted for their faith. I think we have an idea today that that the main thing that the church needs to do in relationship to the community around it is have a good name. We want people to respect us. We want people to think well of us. So we tend to move toward the middle to that lukewarm area of the pool where the gospel isn't proclaimed in a way that might offend, where we don't say clearly that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. But instead we say, well, there are a number of ways. I mean, when I was 12 years old, I had a Methodist pastor explain to me that there are many ways to get into National Airport many directions that flights can come from, but they all arrive at the same place. And he said, so it is with religions. There are many different religions all trying to get to heaven, and they all get there eventually just from different directions. Folks, that was back in the, in the 60s I was hearing that message. No wonder by 1988 we threw Send the Light out of the hymnal. We weren't concerned anymore with lost souls. There's a church uh, out in San Francisco that I have visited before, And then I'll get back to the scriptures that talk about the persecution of the disciples. But uh, that church uh, I visited some years ago, uh, it had quite a reputation. Large church, Glide Memorial in San Francisco. Glide Memorial was also a church that was known more for its social activism than for its dedication to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I went there, and I asked if I could talk with one of their pastors. And so I sat down in an office, and we talked for about an hour, and we prayed together at the end. I asked if we could pray. 
And I, I, I tried to discern, to understand the perspective that they had. And I, I, there was an article recently, because Glide is going through a battle with the United Methodist Church, the bishop out there is challenging Glide and its leadership because, for one thing, they don't do baptisms anymore. They do a, 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 a ceremony with water, but they baptize people in the name of the people instead of the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They don't have worship services. They have celebrations, and the celebrations are meant to include everybody and everybody's thoughts and philosophies. So you have atheists and Buddhists, and you have every religion is welcome to come. There's no cross in the sanctuary. That was taken down all the way back in the 60s because it was offensive. So they've been tried to be so inclusive that they've excluded the gospel and excluded the cross and excluded Jesus Christ out of there. But Glide has especially over the last month been in the news out there in California because the United Methodist Church is challenging their status as a United Methodist Church since it's obvious they don't have communion, they don't baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. It's obvious that they are no longer a United Methodist Church, so they're going through this this battle. So here, here's a uh, paragraph out of the news, news article. Glide Memorial Church is a San Francisco institu- institution known for its social programs and lively services. But Glide's parent organization, the United Methodist Church, is not singing its praises. The bishop abruptly reassigned Glide's two pastors on Sunday, the San Francisco Chronicle reported this week. The parent church isn't commenting meaning the United Methodist Church, the bishop, and everything. Though Glide officials say they suspect the issue is their emphasis on social services rather than traditional church activities. And here's the quote from the Glide board chair, the chair of their board. They have a separate board. They have the church and the board, but the board actually controls everything within the church. He says, our focus is on saving lives and not saving souls. Period. John Wesley said to his pastors, to his preachers, to those circuit riders going out, he said very clearly, you have nothing to do but save souls. And we don't reduce people just to living beings. People are living souls with eternal lives made in the image of God. But God has abandoned that. And this is what I, I, you know, I tried back in January, and I, I, it just bothers my soul. There's, a, there's a, just a, a scratching within me to somehow convey that we are in a critical, critical time. Not just in the United Methodist Church, but in churches everywhere where we need to reclaim the call to go forth to send the light, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. We need to remember that people are more than just their stomachs. They need more than just a place to stay. There are also people with a soul. A soul that needs to be reclaimed by God and reshaped and reformed and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to do. Now don't get me wrong. Every day this week, this church gave a hotel room to somebody. We were packing 
food for people. We were distributing food over here and even over at the community center. I had to take food out of the barrel there, the collection barrel for food to share with somebody. We're doing those things, but we're doing it recognizing that beyond those, those physical needs, there is a living soul there who needs to know Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to learn anything from Acts, it's through these sufferings, through the, through the intent and intense dedication of the disciples to the gospel that we have no excuse for not sharing. I haven't heard of any recent persecution. I haven't been beaten and stoned recently. I haven't been thrown into prison for the gospel. But listen to what they went through. Acts chapter 9. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. His life, Paul's life, was under the threat of death. Acts 13. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their area. Acts 14.5, and when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them. Acts 14.19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Acts 16, the crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Acts 18, 12, but while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. Acts 21, for the multitude of the people kept following them, shouting, away with them. Acts 22, they listened to him up to this statement when he begins to talk of the resurrection. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And I could go on and on. The life of Paul, the life of those who accompanied him proclaiming the gospel, was a life lived with absolute dedication to this principle, to this belief, to this truth. That what we're doing is about life and death of souls, and it matters, and it's worth risking your very life for. I know that this word today sounds very extreme to our ears because we have gotten used to topical sermons and series on how to be a better person and things like that, but I could preach the gospel of Jesus Christ every single sermon, every Sunday, for the rest of my life as a pastor, and I could never plumb the depths of the riches of that gospel. I've heard people say, well, how how is it you're going to preach the gospel to people who've already believed the gospel? But folks, we may have believed it, but are we living it? We may have believed it, but are we going forth and sharing it? We may have believed it, but do we really understand the depths of the riches of knowing Jesus Christ and his resurrection? And the hope of life in him. Going down to, uh, through here. This is the scripture in Acts 16. Where Paul has plans. He has plans to where they're going to go. But the spirit prevents them from going one place and another. Uh, Paul's not sure where to go. A vision 
appears to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Folks, I pray that you will pray for me as a pastor, for for, uh, Shauna as a pastor, for our congregations as congregations of Jesus Christ, that we would have a vision of taking the gospel to those who do not have it. It may not be across the sea. It may not be uh, in Macedonia, but it may be across the street. It may be over in Stanton here, but wherever God calls us, wherever he gives us a vision to do it, let's be willing to go. Go forth in the peace of Christ and may that peace dwell in you richly and may you know the freedom that Christ brings that he alone can bring. Go in his name and amen.